Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Veronica Radman. Oh. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm doing well. Um, that's what Delta said once. <laughs> Delta, the five-year-old on Zoom. One of her friends was like, ah, are you good? Like acting crazy. And she's like, um, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm feeling well. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, today we have America Ferreira. America Ferreira is an actress, a producer, and increasingly a director. She was, of course, on Ugly Betty Superstore, the sisterhood of traveling pants. And now she has a show called Hentified, which she directed and is phenomenal. And you should check it out. So please enjoy America Ferreira. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. We are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com running to learn more. He's an see your faces because I was so afraid we were just going to be on a phone call. I know. Yeah. Well, we would have really preferred to done it in person because we think some magic dust exchanges from one another. Yeah. Well, that's why we can't be together because the magic dust. Exactly. That's a, that's <laughs> a great point. You're pregnant, right? I am pregnant. Do Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And I have a, a son who's about to be two. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Which is fun and a lot of work, as you know. You know, when you're this far along pregnant, it's like there are days where it's like I can't even keep my eyes open. Yeah, you announced in January that you were pregnant, but how how far along are you? I'm due like sometime in May. So like it's oh. coming. It's okay, coming. okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I've been following a little bit, like just on Instagram. How are they allowing people? Like it was just that the women were doing it on their own, right? And the husband was like not allowed in there. And yeah, I mean, it's really insane. And look, everybody is dealing with insane upheavals and not normal circumstances. I mean, I can't speak for other women, but for me, like childbirth is scary. And it brings up some like really primal, deep-seated, probably warranted fears about like yeah. everything that could happen. So, you know, that's true for me, not in a global pandemic, but yeah. then like add that to the mix and you kind of don't know what situation you're walking into. And I think every state is kind of doing it differently and, and different hospitals are doing it differently. But like there was maybe like a week or so where mothers 
in New York were birthing alone without anybody in the room with them. Like, I mean, I could burst out into tears thinking about that right now. Um, You know, I mean, nurses and doctors, I guess, coming in and out, but without their, their partners or any family members or any loved ones there with them. And I think that changed rather quickly. But now I think the issue is that post-birth, the mothers aren't allowed to have anyone with them in a lot of hospitals, uh-huh. which is terrifying. Childbirth is no joke. If you had to rank your overall general anxiety in life, uh, zero to 10, where are you? What's your baseline? I don't think I'm an anxious person. No, I'm not an anxious person. I can get to 10. Like I can sure. get myself to 10. But you know what this, it's so interesting because I'm not in general an anxious person. I am a highly suggestible person. Ah. So like, so like I can't do things like I can't watch horror films okay. because oh. I get too scared watching horror films. Yes, I have the same thing. We watched Dateline the other day and I was like scared for two hours after. Yeah, like I can't, I believe it too much. Yes. So I stopped watching horror films like when I was like 10. Um, and I get mad when I'm like watching late night TV and they play a trailer for like The Purge 7 <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or, or whatever. And I'm just like, I didn't ask for that. I don't mm. want that. It's 11.30 p.m. I want to go to sleep. And you just made me watch this horror moment. So if I stop to think about something, I can get myself there in like a second. But I think on a day-to-day basis in general, there's this silver lining of perspective of like nothing really matters that much, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's only when the illusion of safety and stability is broken, Mm -hmm. but there is no safety and stability. Even like, I I think it was maybe like Esther Perel, someone really impressive was like, marriage is an illusion of safety. It doesn't come with just safety. You know, you have to daily create that and there is no... Permanent homeostasis for stability and safeness. I love Esther Perel. She's oh, isn't she? She's the best. She's amazing. Yeah, I think that at the moment, I feel the realization of like we don't have any control really ever is actually bringing me like this preternatural kind of calm versus the other way. But I also feel like just like tuning into the news for three minutes could like jack me the other way like right you know really quick is there any like conventional male female things happening between you and your husband because my wife and i are like we went straight to all the cliches when (laughs) started. i'm like it's fucking fine until this house is on fire and everything's fine you know i have the everything's fine because i can't fix it so i just dismiss it as not a threat so we're like we just snapped right into these really conventional roles well in our house my husband ryan was sounding the alarm like December. Like seriously, like the (laughs) second he heard that this was happening in China, he was like, this is what we need. I'm going to start stocking up. Ah. And you know, he's a little OCD, like for real, for real. And there are times where that is a bummer. For me, his wife, and I definitely was like rolling my eyes and just being like, okay, go get a 50 pound sack of beans, you know, whatever. Doomsday prepper. I know, I know. But you know what? I really won this time with his tendency to, to be prepared. He really 
saw the signs and took it seriously. And I did not. I mean, I was A, pregnant. So like didn't have that much mental capacity to like take it in. And B, I was like working. I worked all the way up until March 13th. They didn't shut down production on my show on Superstore. Okay. Which, by the way, was a week before I was supposed to wrap the series, like the whole oh, series. Like yeah, I'm, yeah. You're moving on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm leaving the show. And so I had like so ramping myself up for like my last episode. Oh. You'd already written your cards and everything, thanking everyone. <laughs> A week of teary goodbyes and also telling people like, we're not doing this right now. We'll do this in the last <laughs> week. Like I'm not crying. I'm not, it's like saving it all for the last week. And then, you know, we come into work on Friday, a week before we're actually supposed to wrap, and they're they're like, this is your last day. I assume they just clipped the episode off the order, right? They're not going to try to resume, because it, it'll have expired, right? The end of the season will be... Well, I I think I, I will have to go back and finish, because the storyline isn't really complete for my character. Okay. So it's the end of her entire yeah. character arc on the show. So right. the way that it ends right now is with the penultimate episode, which was not intended to be the finale, but is going to be the finale. And then, you know, I guess it's kind of nice. We'll come back next season and start the season with a real bummer of an episode. <laughs> like Amy leaving. Okay, so that's the plan. Is next year we'll see that final episode. I think so. I think okay. that's the plan. I, again, like, what are plans these days? Who knows, yeah. you know? But I think the chances are good that I'll go back and, and finish Amy's storyline. My wife has just an abundance of lovely feelings about you. Oh, well, same. But she has you filed in her, like, um, group of super women who are changing the world that Aww. she respects and loves. Are you friends with Polar? She told me that this morning. I am. Polar is, like, the best of all the best. How'd you guys meet? We met through groups of friends. And then, you know, it's like, if you're lucky enough to know, like, probably the coolest woman ever, uh -huh. then, you, then you get to meet other cool women. You know? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've gotten on all these text chains where like crises are happening around the world. And, you know, we all get on text message and try to help each other, like get yeah. through them emotionally or like as a mom, I'm like, ah, what do I do? Or Do you have any awareness or gratitude for the fact that you work in an era where, yeah, there's Amy Poehler, there's my wife. Like if you were on TV in the 80s, you would have bumped into other women on the lot, but they would have all been someone's wife generally they wouldn't have been like the lead of the show and isn't it kind of cool that you're working in an era where you have all these peers that are like their own entity? absolutely and i think this time is unprecedented in a way you know yes i feel like for a while i've been able to kind of like look out and see amazing women doing amazing things that i wanted to be doing you know watching polar go from being in front of the camera to producing and directing episodes of her show to directing features and watching my friends like Amber Tamlin and Eva Longoria do the same, like watching women model a possibility is life-changing. But something else happened in this era in our industry, which was the Time's Up movement. And that changed so much more for women in our industry because I think before that, even if you saw women from afar or admired them from afar or went to them at an award ceremony and said, I love you, like, thank you. There was still this feeling of like being in silos. You know, we, we oftentimes as a woman and particularly as a woman of color, like you're the only one in the room. You're the only woman in the cast. You're the only woman producer. You're the only, mm. you know, woman in a, in a decision-making 
cohort. And, and that can be really isolating and really lonely. And what happened when Time's Up was born is that those barriers just dissolved and women were literally coming together in rooms physically to be with each other in a way that was unprecedented in our industry, in a way where there was proximity and where we would talk about things like, why has it taken us this long? Mm -hmm. So often we are not only kept separate, but also pitted against each other as competition, not as potential partners and potential collaborators. Well, there's still a scarcity mentality because there were so few roles, you know, that were relevant out there. So I I do think there's this scarcity mentality that was quite real just 10 years ago that helps lay the, the groundwork for that. Totally. And it's also like cyclical because if women are never together and are never collaborators and never talking and never even knowing each other or seeing each other as anything but competition for those, you know, paltry roles that are out there, like then they can't create together, you know, and you look at what someone like Reese Witherspoon is doing right now and, and everything she makes is like opening doors for five other women to, to star, to produce, to direct. And it doesn't have to be, I have to protect my piece of the pie for me. And that, that mentality really opened up with this not easy, but very simple act of, of proximity of just like being around each other and the feeling that like, Even if I didn't know somebody, if I watched a film she directed, I feel like in this day and age, I could reach out and say, hey, I really love and admire what you did. Would you be willing to talk to me about, Mm, mm -hmm. about, you know, this project that I'm trying to get off the ground? And from where I sit, there is an openness and a willingness to do that and to lift each other up. To like mentor each other. Yeah. And it it just feels so different from what it felt like 10 years ago in this industry as a woman, as a woman of color, there's what it's like for all women. But as a Latina woman, oh my God, I, I didn't know any other Latinas in this industry. And, you know, you talk about scrambling and competing for a small piece of the pie. <laughs> like yeah, the truth yeah, is, yeah. like, you know, there were five Latinas that were all like competing for, oh, the sassy Latina lover or whatever it is. Yeah. And you only knew each other in that context. And that boundary has started to dissolve. And that feels incredible to know that we can just reject the idea that we're not allowed to create together and that we're not allowed to empower one another and that there isn't space for all of us because of course there is. And and, and the more that we are able to collaborate and inspire and, and connect with one another, the more is possible. I'm seeing it every day as a producer, as a director, as an actress. Now, I am curious about Time's Up. I'm just guessing and projecting here, but I wonder, is there any comfort in the fact that I imagine if I'm young and I'm female and I'm looking at the Reese Witherspoons and the Amy Pollers, I am wrongly assuming, well, they're so bold and confident that they couldn't have ever been victimized by this. And then finding out like, no, no level of power really makes you impervious to that. Like, is it, was there some layer of comfort knowing like, oh my God, that happened to you? Absolutely. That's so much of the deal, right? Is just coming to see each other as humans and, and coming to realize how shared our experiences are. You know, Reese gave this beautiful speech at an award luncheon this past year. 
you know, she talks about like how dismissed and how no one would take her seriously as anything but like a pretty blonde actress. And you know, look at the empire she's building for herself. And it's beyond inspiring to be reminded that like everybody has this struggle and, you know, to different degrees with different elements and aspects, obviously, but but it isn't easy for anyone and, and no one gets to escape the psychology of this industry and also the psychology of being a woman in this industry and how you have to really fight past what you have internalized as a woman about what's possible for you. Like for me, yeah. I've started directing and I started on my show on Superstore four years ago and I knew I wanted to do it, but I was terrified. I mean, really, truly like shaking, terrified to ask the question, you know, for a show that I was a star on and that I I was a producer on from the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, do I just think I'm not capable? Do I think I don't deserve it? Have I not worked hard enough? Really having to figure out like, what is this fear? Yeah, what's the mental block? And I remember like I was on set and these two actors walked on set, these two male actors who were like somewhat known television stars. I was like, oh, hey, hi, nice to meet you. What are you guys doing here? And they're like, oh, we're shadowing to direct. And I'm like, of course you are. <laughs> of yeah. course you're on one television show, you know, for a couple episodes and you're like, I should do that, which is great not to take anything away from that. But like such a mirror was held up to me. I'm like, I have made over 150 hours of television. Like, mm -hmm. what am I waiting for? Like, I've been yeah. working since I was 17 years old. I've been on sets. I've worked with countless directors. Like, I don't know what I'm waiting for to be ready. And so really, I like, I texted Amy Poehler and texted Eva Longoria and texted Amber Timlin and talked to my friends and said, I'm terrified. And they're like, you got this. Like, you're going to be scared. You got this. You can do it. And it was like, in spite of how scary it was, I had to take that step. But I don't know that I could have or would have without some level of support and modeling from women around me who had done the same thing. And since yeah. then, I've directed several episodes of Superstore. I directed two episodes of Hentified, which is my show that premiered on Netflix earlier I'm this so, year. I was waiting for you to pronounce it first, because I, I, <laughs> I, I was like, that word looks like gentrified to me, but I am uh, dyslexic and I don't know. Hentified. So it's a play on gentrified, but uh -huh. gente is the word in Spanish for people. So okay. it's a made up word that was actually created by activists inside these gentrifying communities. So it's essentially kind of the act of community changing, but by the people from that community. And it's a very controversial issue because in a town like Boyle Heights here in LA, it's such a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. I actually shot my very first film I ever did, Real Women Have Curves, was completely shot in Boyle Heights. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and it's changed so much, hence the gentrification. Yeah. But the idea of gentrification is that like a lot of young people like myself who are born and raised and of these neighborhoods go away, go to college, get educated, get access, come home, and then open up their art studio or open up their coffee shop where a latte costs $10. And, and they themselves, like the people of that neighborhood, are part and parcel of the changing of it and also yeah. the kind of unsustainability of its historical kind of traditional roots and the, and the people who live there kind of making it 
harder for the people who are from there to survive there. Anyway, Hentified is a, it's a comedy. <laughs> I'm sure it sounds hilarious <laughs> the way that I explain it. Um, <laughs> but it's a comedy with drama and it's sort of centered around this family in Boyle Heights. And I'm so proud of it. And as a producer to have gotten to create space for two incredibly talented young Latino voices to come through and tell this story authentically and have their show, you know, be on Netflix and watched and loved. It's such a win. And and then, like I said, I got to direct two of the episodes, which was really awesome. Now, often when we are interviewing someone of color, there is part of me that thinks, if I were in this position, at times I would be like, selfishly, hey, I just want to enjoy this fucking ride. Because I'm black, I have to now speak on all black issues or, or be politically minded or be active in that way. Or if I'm a woman, I have to take on all these women. Like, what if I'm just a selfish person who wants to fucking get paid and live, yet there's this kind of baked in expectation. Does that expectation ever feel daunting? It sounds like you run towards that and, and really enjoy that. But sometimes I just go like, Oh, it's kind of not fair that on top of it being harder to get there, once you're there, you have this added responsibility that certainly I don't have. You know, I'm free to just fucking make money and buy cars. uh, Yeah. Be a (laughs) shithead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I do this for the money. Is that not? (laughs) (laughs) Is that not apparent? I'm doing a really bad job of it. And I like, I believe wholeheartedly in everyone's right to be able to just make money and buy cars if that's what they want to do. And it's like, <laughs> and I get it. And and there are times where I feel that, yeah, sure. There are moments where sometimes I feel like this is just for fun, or this is just for the love of like doing something silly or whatever it is. Or can I add an ego thing? Like an ego thing for me would be, I, I direct and within the question, about directing it when they say it's great they and then they say as a woman director and and then i think why are you putting me in these two boxes yeah. like just i fucking directed this great episode of tv yeah. uh, let's just leave it at that that's like where i would get triggered i think yeah yeah you, you know it's tricky and you're right and it's like it's also about context right it's like who's putting you in that box and why are people putting you in that box and you know, since I was 17, when I started my career, it wasn't something that I was ever going to avoid. You know, I, I starred in a film called Real Women Have Curves. And as a brown, overweight, young woman who didn't fit any of the stereotypes of like what a leading lady in a film should look like or be like, I realized really early on that like it wasn't up to me. People were going to cast me as as a role model, as an example. And and at 17, that's incredibly daunting and oh, yeah. scary, especially when like I was just a kid trying to yeah. figure out my own body issues and yeah. identity issues. And part of this is just who I am and my personality, but I really got so inspired and changed by realizing how powerful storytelling was and getting in touch with my own anger and my own desire to see people like me and realizing like, oh yeah, I had grown up my whole life seeing myself in Tom Hanks and in Julia Roberts because I had to, Uh because I had to watch whatever was available to me and say, yeah, I could be that. And I never got to see anything that really looked like me. And, And as a kid, you know, you don't stop to think how that's like 
deeply impacting you and your view of yourself in the world. But as I got older, more awareness grew around that and then truly more indignation, right? So I felt so lucky to have so much access to influence what kinds of stories were being told and also just like how certain characters were being portrayed. You know, since I was 17, I've had to walk onto sets and say like, I wouldn't say that. You know, right, or like yeah, yeah. that sounds dumb or like I don't connect to that, you know, and learning at such a young age to have to be an advocate, not just for yourself, but like for a representation of people like you. So I, I guess I'm just power hungry. <laughs> and when the yeah. power came, when the power came, I'm like, I will do right with this power. <laughs> but no, you know, it's obviously about personality. And for me, what felt daunting and scary and like a burden and more than I could handle early on now feels like my purpose. It's like, yes, you know, what, what else would I be doing with this access that I have gotten for myself, if not changing what our stories look like and, and also getting to be a part of getting millions and millions of millions of people seen. And I know what that means. I know what it feels like to look out into the culture and feel truly invisible. And I think that the impacts of that go far beyond having a show to talk about at school. It's about feeling like you belong in this society and you know the impact that has on young people and what they believe about themselves. You know, to go back to myself and like, why did I feel like I didn't belong in the director's chair? Well, I didn't see anybody like myself in the director's chair, so. Right. Anyway, and not to get too self-righteous about it, but it definitely feels like it's it's a part of my personality to lean into it, as you said. Yeah. When you were first auditioning, did you already have that sort of sense of self? Or when you were first auditioning, were you like, oh, I just want to go out for the white role or the every person role? And why does it always have to be a Latino role? Because when I started auditioning, I was like, I'm not doing an Indian accent. I'm not going to do anything ser- with a name like whatever it's going to be. You Taj know. Mahal. Sure, yeah, yeah. which is the <laughs> real name, name that yeah, Cal yeah. Penn had yeah. to audition for. Yeah. And oh I just ran in the complete <laughs> opposite direction, and I was like, I'm not that. And it sounds like at some point you decided smartly that the best way to do this is to embrace it. But was that from the beginning, or did you have to get there? Yeah, it was definitely a journey. I mean, my very first audition ever, I was 16, maybe 15, no, maybe 16. And it was for like, literally like a late night, like cable subscription commercial, or it was like a bail bonds commercial. I can't even remember. Mm. It was just something dumb, but it was like my first audition ever, 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 ever. And I like walked in, I was so excited. And, you know, I went in, I mean, I'm from the Valley. I went to like 34 yeah. bar and bat mitzvahs growing up. Like, you yeah. know, my Spanish is like not that great. So I walked in. <laughs> I read the sides. I thought I did a great job. And then the, you know, the casting director lady was like, "Mm, that's great. Can you do that again, but sound more Latina? Mm -hmm. Uh Sure, sure, sure. And I was like, what do you, I don't, do you want me to do this in Spanish? And she was like, no, 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 no. Like do it in English, but like just sound more Ugh. Latina. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I genuinely was like, I have no fucking idea what you're asking me to do. So I just like did it again, the way I speak. And then I went to her and I was like, I am Latina. So yeah, <laughs> is it this what a Latina sounds like? And 
she was just like, okay, thank you, honey. Bye. You know, and like, you know, never got the role. And, And I was so young. I didn't really understand until later, like, oh, she just wanted me to like speak bad English. Yeah, well, now, be now a stereotype. Have, yeah, now they now the the thing. Well, I, I think it's actually expired already. But yeah, for a while there, it was like the safe way to say it was to say urban. Like, oh, could it be more right. urban? Right, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, like I couldn't be less urban if I tried. <laughs> Very early on, I realized there's going to be a box here that they're going to shove me in. But you know, it wasn't that I was willing to do things that felt demeaning. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a personality thing. You know, I mean, I came from a very, very poor family. Mother was a single mom. Parents were immigrants. Like, I had no leg to stand on in terms of like my art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just had to take whatever opportunity came to me. But I remember like auditions coming through where I, even at sixteen, I was like fuck no, I'm not going in for that, you know? So, and then there were other opportunities where things didn't feel perfect, but there felt like enough there that I could then go in and like have a conversation about and talk to someone about, you know, and, and I learned how to work with mostly white men or white women and have conversations with them about how to make a better decision Mm. for the character that served them in the long run and helped them kind of get to, which is like, it's a pretty exhausting but useful skill to learn at 16 years old, 17 years old. You know, and then at a certain point as a 36-year-old woman, you know, 20 years into this career, feeling like, I don't want to have to have those conversations if I don't have to. Like, I know how to have those conversations. Yeah. But also, I actually just want to see us telling our stories. And I want other people to have to translate. Like, if I could see myself in Tom Hanks, then why can't Tom Hanks see himself in me? When you did Curves, I've shortened it to just Curves. Curves is a good one. Curves, okay, is, okay. curves is a good shortage. So when you did Curves and you went down to Boyle Heights, being from the Valley, had you spent any time over there or that was that culture shock to you? Were you like, oh, this whole pocket of the city is much different than the San Fernando Valley? It was a little bit of culture shock. Yeah. I mean, I remember I'd go downtown with my mom where I'd see many more Latino people. Your mom's um, from Honduras. Yeah. My mom's Honduran. Yeah. And we'd go downtown to like buy things wholesale or whatever. The thing about Boyle Heights that's amazing is it's a real community with real history and with a lot of pride, like the people who live there have so much pride in their community and in their culture. And, you know, you drive around and there are these stunning murals of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and like by Latino artists, that sort of a neighborhood where Latino culture was was not just like poor people just trying to get by, but there was expression of art. That felt like culture shock to me because I had never Mm -hmm. seen anything like that before. And in that way, Boyle Heights is this sort of like magical place. And you understand why the people who are from it defend it fiercely, because we don't Mm -hmm. have that many spaces that belong to us, that where our art is on the walls, where our music, like Mariachi Plaza is like the center of Boyle Heights, where, you know, these musicians with the tradition and the culture show up, you know, in full regalia and are celebrating our piece of culture that really matters to that community. And and there aren't very many places that, that exist that are like that. So yes, it felt like culture shock to me. 
In the Valley, even when you were a kid, was 30 to 45% Latino, right? There were people that looked like you in San Fernando Valley, yeah? Well, yes and no. So when I was really young, we lived in Canoga Park where that was true. There were many more Latinos and brown faces around, but those were obviously like not the good schools. They weren't well-funded. Yeah. They were more violent. And and so naturally my mom was like, I can't send you guys to these schools. You have to go to the better schools. And we were lucky enough to have an aunt who who had money and lived in a nicer part of the neighborhood. So there was like a small period where, yeah, we like used her address to go to the better elementary schools, which apparently in this country you could go to jail for seven years for. Eventually that aunt helped us move into a home in that zip code. So we were able to go to some of the better funded, better programmed public schools which obviously meant that it was a wider neighborhood because that's where the better schools are. And so I was in a wider and predominantly very Jewish neighborhood is Uh where I grew uh up. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by ZipRecruiter. Are there some fantastic concerts coming to your city this summer? Mine too. In fact, Anderson Pack's playing at the Hollywood Bowl. I can't wait for it. Ooh, that's exciting. If you want to be sure to see your favorite artist, you need to jump on it right away. I've already DM'd him saying, yes, I got to be in that front row. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Got your eye on a rock star candidate? ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. Once you review ZipRecruiter's list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash DAX. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were to... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Rob and sp- I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> <sighs> 
But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. So the only person that I'm really close with that has the Latino experience acting is um, Michael Pena, who I know you did End a Watch with. And Cesar Chavez. Oh, yeah, yeah. his wife in Cesar Chavez, yeah. Yeah, there's a potential, I would imagine, to be like in this nether world of culture, right? So it's like, you go to Boyle Heights, you didn't have that experience, you can view that experience, and there you might feel like, oh, am I not authentically Latina enough? and then be back in your more predominantly white high school and feeling like, oh, I'm not white enough. And I just know that Pena through many interviews we've done together is like, you know, he didn't feel embraced sometimes by the Mexican American community. And like he wasn't Mexican enough and yet he was too Mexican to be white. And there was just kind of this like, where do I fit in? What, what is my niche? Totally, yeah. It's like, you don't belong anywhere and you're not good enough for anyone. Yes, absolutely. That's like my upbringing in a nutshell. But and I did I edited and compiled this book called American Like Me, which is, you know, based on that experience growing up. But, you know, what I realized as I grew up or grew older was just like, well, this isn't like a particularly Latino experience. This is certainly experienced by so many first generation children of immigrants, you know, grandchildren of immigrants in this country. So, you know, I had friends who were like Chinese American and Filipino American and and Palestinian American. And like, we would talk about our upbringings and we're like, same, same. It's like, we're basically all the same, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I actually compiled this book and there's 34 authors in it. And, you know, people from Nigeria, to the Dominican, to China and Japan, like sharing stories about that experience. And and the truth is, is my book was focused on mainly people who were children of immigrants or immigrants themselves. But, you know, this is an experience that is also a socioeconomic experience too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can never stop if you choose. So like I'm from a pretty lower class, blue collar, hillbilly, redneck, high rate of violence, alcoholism. And then as I ascend through the socioeconomic spectrum, yeah, I'm hanging out with much different people. And then I go home and I'm, I find myself even code switching as a white dude of like, oh no, I'm, I seem uh, elitist if I <laughs> pronounce pop soda. You know, all these little micro things where I find myself doing. So yeah, I think there's so many different layers or opportunities for us to f- have a duality. And it's, I guess it's only compounded, yeah, when you have more visible indicators. Yeah. I listened to your interview that you did with T.I. And I felt like so much of what you were talking about in that felt really, really relevant and similar to like the experience that that I had kind of, there's, there's the ethnic piece of it, which is, you know, 
am I'm not American enough? I'm not white enough. I'm not Latino enough. But then, like you said, as as you start to become successful and gain access, like what does that then mean for your whole identity that sprung from like having nothing? <laughs> like yeah, so how yeah, do yeah. you like in your mind, you're like, I have no idea what I am anymore. Like I, I don't know what I'm allowed to claim. On paper, I'm the person I hate. <laughs> right. I certainly just like if you were rich, I hated you. I felt less than around you mm. and I hated you. And then here I am, I by all accounts am now rich and my children are growing up very privileged and I'm like, huh, okay, this is interesting. How do I make peace with all this? That's the thing that I feel is so tricky is like my children's life and upbringing is going to be so radically different from the way I grew up. And like, yeah. like there are parts of that that I'm super grateful for. And then parts of it where I'm like, you know, if I wanted to do something in the summer as a 12 year old kid, I had to learn the bus route. And at 12 years old, hop on three buses, three yeah. hours each way to get to an acting class I wanted to take. Yeah, because my mom- 25 went, male predators. Yeah, exactly. I mean, also it's horrifying. You're like, oh my yeah. God, who would let their child do yeah. that? Yeah. But it's like things like that where I'm like, that's something that you look back and you go like, okay, well, that was questionable whether or not to let your 12-year-old daughter do that. But also we didn't have a choice and it's what I did. Also, like it taught me so much and it gave me grit and it taught me how to work hard for things that I wanted. And like, how do you give your children that experience when you're like, I could buy you a car. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone said it perfectly. They said the challenge of parenting with money is that instead of being able to say, I want that, oh, well, we can't afford that. To have to say, I could buy that for you and I am not going to do that. And I'm not that. going to, I know. Well, especially when you had nothing as a kid and you're like living vicariously through your children. Oh, and you're like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's all already you happening. Wanted. Yeah, my <laughs> no. daughter has three off-road vehicles. It's shameful. <laughs> I was like, I can't even fit shit in the garage because she has got everything I wanted as a kid. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I, all I wanted was like a massive trampoline in my backyard. Like, yeah. how am I not going to get that for him the second he can jump? You know, so I, it is. It's a balance, and obviously, very, very high class problems to have. But, but I do think it creates a challenge, just identity wise, and. You know, I just like, as a parent, it's like, I just want to put good people into this world. And and it's so scary when you're like, I'm not sure how to do that. Because my reality as an adult is so different from what my reality as a child was. Well, and it's evolved at like breakneck pace. My best childhood friend from Michigan, his son is now 13. Super good looking kid, tall, beautiful long hair. Looks like Robert Plant. I said, are girls starting to like him in school? And he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, some girls and some guys too. And I was like, oh, hot dog, really? In Michigan, <laughs> like that? they're in junior highs and the boys are saying they like him too. He's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, amazing. That would have not been my prediction from where we came from that that could have happened in 30 years and here it, it has happened. So it's like whatever you learned and the tricks you and I cobbled together, I don't even know that they apply in so many ways. All that I heard in that whole story was you saying, oh, hot dog. I know. 
<laughs> hard to get past. Yeah. I was like, you just said, oh, hot dog. <laughs> oh, hot diggity dog. This is fantastic. Uh, which, you know, if you ever worried that that little Dax left you, he did not. He's in there. Oh, yeah. No, the, yeah, the Michigander's still in there. That makes me excited. I, like, that to oh, me yeah. is, like, really interesting. I'm like, oh, great. Our kids are already so much more evolved than, like, we have a chance at, you know, no matter how much therapy we do. Yeah, in so many ways, like what I would have been passing on is like this coat of armor. Like, okay, well, here's what you do when the guy pushes you. You got to punch him right now. You know, like all this shit that tools that are just useless for my kids. And I yeah. have to accept that. Okay, I want to walk through some fun highlights of your career. So 17, you got curves. And <laughs> how quickly after that did you get Ugly Betty? So... Real Women Have Curves came out in 2002. And then the next big thing that I did was The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I made in 2004, but came out 2005. So it was like a three-year break. And meanwhile, I did Real Women Have Curves and then went right into college. Uh, I went to USC and I studied international relations and I was doing school and then like leaving halfway through the semester to do like an independent film. And I was doing like all these independent films and a couple pilots and still being a full-time student. And so that was crazy. And, you know, at 16, I'm like, oh my God, like it's been a whole year and I haven't had a job. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so dumb. But so Real Women was 2002. Sisterhood came out in 2005. And then Ugly Betty was like right after Sisterhood. And your mom was nervous, right? She was like, uh, yeah, acting, that's adorable, but let's let's get something sustainable. I think like Monica's parents, was, was there some totally. initial reservation for obvious reasons? Yes, totally. You know, and also the mom and the family thing, it's like I'm saving that for the memoir when like, uh -huh, sure. where I can say what I want. Well, your dad, your dad died in 2010, right? My dad died in 2012. And so now I just feel like I have carte blanche to say whatever the hell I want. And then I then feel guilty later. With your dad, right? But like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, your mom's still alive. So like, well, you know. she, my mom is abnormally cool, I will say. And I told some story at one point and I said some stuff about my childhood and my mom initially was a little bummed and then I felt really bad and I apologized to her. And then she called me like three days later and she said, you know what? I want you to forget what I said. Like your story is your story. It's Aww. you have the right to tell your story and don't ever worry about me going Aww, forward. But that's wow. a very rare very freedom rare. for a parent <laughs> to give their kid. Yeah. You have a very special mom. That's yes. very lovely. No, I, I have a complicated relationship with my mom and with my family that I don't talk about often. And Mixed up with all that. It's like, what's mine to tell? You know, it sucks. Yeah. The courage and bravery when I see people telling parts of their story and elements of their story that involve their family, it's scary. You know, what I was going to say, just that like culturally, and Monica, I don't know if you went through this too, but it's like, there's the one thing of like, no one like us makes it in this industry. The chances are so small. You know, and I was a really good student. It was like, you know, get A's, go become yep. a doctor, a lawyer, like... Just, we didn't come to this country for you to be like a starving artist, like go yep. make something <laughs> exactly. of yourself. Uh, yeah. And you're smart. So like, go do that. And the whole time I'm like, okay, I always got the A's. I always went to school. I took it very seriously and I did what I loved. And, and so there was the element of people like us don't make it. But then there was the more direct element of people like you don't make it. You're not, yeah. you're not pretty enough. You're not sexy mm. enough. You don't look like Selma Hayek. You're not like, you know, yes. so, yeah. so there was that doubt on top of it, which was like, 
well, you could make it if you wanted to turn yourself into that thing. And so for me to say, no, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it as the person that I am, that was confronting to the whole culture. And to defend your mom for half a second, because I have two kids, it's like, I'm assuming uh, what she thought she was doing was preparing you for the reality of the world and did not want to see your heart broken, but then obviously accidentally broke your heart by by expressing that opinion. Yes, preparing and protecting, which by the way is real. And and it is the intention behind what a lot of parents do for their, to and for their children, but it's also an excuse for a lot of fucked up shit parents do to their kids, Of course, yes. Their own fears are clouding what is good. Their own fears. So to your question of like, was this, this wasn't like a natural thing for, for my mother and for my family to like support. No, I think they thought there wasn't a chance in hell that I was going to make it and that like I was going to make it as the person that I am, you know, that yeah, I would have to yeah. contort myself and become something else if I wanted to be successful. Yeah. So now yeah. that brings up Ugly Betty. My first thought was I saw billboards. That's how I became aware of the show because we yeah, live in Los yeah. Angeles and I started seeing all these billboards and your face was on it and said ugly betty and i was like i'm not seeing it i'm not (laughs) i'm not seeing the ugly betty part of this and part of me the cynic in me was like that's hollywood that's ugly again i'm sure that the title of that show meant way more than i have a knowledge of but i was just like that's not an ugly what is that what is that yeah does that make any sense totally totally and without any context absolutely that makes sense i mean for me and and again This is one of those scenarios where I could look at something and be like, this could go a lot of different ways, you know, and, and this has the potential to be something really out of touch and really like awful. And like you said, Hollywoody and bad messages, wrong messages. But I also read it and learned about this character, watched the original TV show and saw my perspective, which was like, she doesn't call herself ugly. Uh huh. Ugly Betty is what the world that she's in calls her. And, you know, uh-huh. she works at this like crazy uh, fashion magazine. It's like a Vogue, right? She works at Mo. Yeah. And, and when you hear the words ugly Betty or her being called ugly, they're coming from these god awful human beings and characters who yeah. it's all about like what they see when they look at her. But the heart and the soul of the show was this girl who knew what people thought or the people in this particular area thought of her and saw when they looked at her and in in spite of it was herself. And that was obviously something that like I could relate to on the deepest, deepest level and felt like the title to me never was the truth. The title was a perspective and the title was somebody else's perspective. But the strength of this character is what people will understand when they see the show. And I think most people who did watch the show got it. Like, Betty didn't think of herself as ugly. Betty Betty had a boyfriend. Betty was fucking guys left and right. Sure, and sure. Like, you know, she thought she looked hot. She's like, yeah. you know, she was working the braces in the class and obviously was never ugly. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just based on what the expectation of this world. And so for me, it was like, like what we were talking about before, Monica, like you kind of see what's available to you And your choices are to say like, nope, not for me, walk away, Mm -hmm. which I've done before. Or you have a choice to look at something and say, hold on, 
This may even be what the person who wrote this intended, but I see something different. And I see the possibility and the potential to like take a title, to take a stereotype and to deepen it. And if I can do that successfully, what would the power of that be? And, you know, that's hard. It's, It's not easy to do that, but I feel like I have had no choice in my career because as a woman and as a Latina, really for the majority of my career, the people writing those roles were not people like me. They were people putting on to these characters their perspective of it. And it was up to me to come in and work really, really hard to advocate for that character and create more space for more humanity, more dimension. for. And that's not to say that that's possible in every role. It's not. And not everybody has the power on set to do that. I I have been extremely lucky to have the opportunity to be the star of a TV show or the star of a movie and say, this doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's very evolved and takes a lot of, I think, personal, maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit for the amount of like personal integrity it takes because in acting, all you want is a job. It's like you'll literally cut off your left hand for a job. When you get it, it feels like to say anything to them about, well, this is good, but maybe we could do it like this, or this doesn't resonate with me, or I I would never say this. That is very hard to do. I think it's amazing that you took that on and were able to say like, yeah, I'm going to say yes to this knowing that I'm not going to do it in their way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, everyone loved Ugly Betty. You won a Golden Globe. You won an Emmy. You won, you won it all. Was that the sweetest spot of the journey? Was that like having dropped out? No, 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 no. It's not. The head's shaking now. <laughs> I just would imagine, though, if, if mom had some doubts mm. and you dropped out of college, which you, I'm sure even you had some fear about, to be on a show that's a hit and that you're winning awards for, was it? did it feel very validating or did you feel vindicated? Yes. I mean, of course. On one hand, first of all, I loved this character, loved this world, loved my cast. To have a feeling that like, oh, this character and this story is so needed in the culture right now, I just have a gut instinct that it is going to speak so strongly to so many people myself included. And then to see that happen. I mean, it's like the best win ever to be like, yes, I followed my gut. I followed my instincts about a big gaping hole that needed to be filled and great. You know, I loved every minute of being Betty. I really did. It was so much work. It was maybe the hardest work I'll ever do in my life, but I loved it. The hoopla and the whirlwind that happened around it was challenging and exhausting and my whole life changed yeah the, the being famous element is that what you're referring the, to uh, yeah the being it wasn't really the being famous it was the what it did to my personal relationships what it did uh, to my familial relationships yeah you know i'm working 20 hours a day on set and then like having to navigate everybody else's projections of what's happening to me you know and not uh-huh. everyone else like strangers on on instagram like my family like sure, my mom sure. like my siblings like you know and my husband who i've now been with for 15 years at the time we'd been together one year oh that's wow. a that's a big ride to take we yeah we'd been together one year and then boom everything changed so that was crazy it's like this guy that i really like But like, I don't see him for three days on end and he's working. I mean, like, you know, is this going to survive this? 
was a partner, it could trigger a lot of fears. I was with a gal for nine years when I started working. And now in retrospect, there's no playbook for that. So I got pretty self-important, pretty quick. I, all of a sudden we had been dead equal and now I made all the money. That was a new dynamic. Like there was just a Ooh. lot of new dynamics that I didn't really a, have anyone to ask advice from and or couldn't humble myself enough to ask for advice. But I certainly did a terrible job navigating that. Totally, because it's so hard. And so when you ask the question like, winning these awards, was this like the sweet spot? And it's like, mm -hmm. yes, on one hand, it's what an amazing experience that how many people get to live that and who knows if I'll ever get to live it again. But there was so much drama and so many challenging things happening in my personal life. And also I was a kid. I was mm. I was 22, 23 years old and oh my God. and still figuring out like what mattered to me and what was important to me. And and also when the thing that you were striving for your whole life happens and you're like, but but I still feel uh -huh. scared. And there I still feel not secure and I still feel like a hack and I feel like people are going to learn this about me. I said this in an interview before, so it's not breaking news, but I haven't said it many times. But when I won the Emmy, I can't bring myself to go back and watch that because the only thing I remember about being on that stage, accepting that Emmy was the feeling that no one in the room thought I deserved it. Mm. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And that... That's a shame. What was your narrative? What were you thinking they were thinking? Like, she doesn't really deserve that. What is she really doing in that role? That role is not interesting enough. It's not dark enough. It's not edgy enough. Like, you know, all of the bullshit of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, oh, she got it because it's a good story, not because she deserved it or like whatever, uh, uh -huh. which, you know, doesn't enter your mind on its own. It's like, there were people in my life sort of perpetuating those narratives and, uh -huh. and making me feel like I hadn't earned this moment. Well, some people in your life are probably getting very scared that you're going to outgrow them. Totally. And they are subconsciously trying to lower you so you right. don't leave them, right? That's a very unhealthy yeah. but natural oh. response to that. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, when I look back at that time, my heart aches for that 22-year-old girl who, like, didn't get to really enjoy those Experience moments, you know, it, yeah, and like, like as a 36 year old, on one hand, maybe those moments would mean less at this point in my life. But on the other hand, keep them in context of like, my whole life that I have a full whole life. And this is a part of it versus being a 22 year old, where overnight, this thing and this character and this journey and this career moment was everything yeah, morning, yeah. noon and night and your whole identity almost yeah and it's too much there's no perspective there's no context there's no grounding in that and especially when the people around you are acting like children too like yeah. and when there's no one around you saying like everything's going to be okay so it's complicated yeah 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 stay tuned for more armchair expert if you dare we are supported by New Balance. Whether you're going for your first ever jog around the park, getting ready for a marathon, or even picking up the pace on the last stretch before you get home, if you run, you're a runner. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. 
New Balance, run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. If you've listened for a while, AG1 shouldn't be new to you. What's not new to me, I've been a fan for over six years. I have it every morning. I had it this morning. But if you haven't tried it yet, seriously, it's such an easy way to improve your health. It replaces multiple health supplements like multivitamins, digestive aids, immune support, and more in just one simple scoop. In 60 seconds, I know I'm covering my nutritional bases and setting myself up for success to tackle the day. And for how simple it is, it's crazy what a difference it makes. It's full of prebiotics for my gut, vitamin B to keep my energy up, magnesium for my stress levels. I could keep listing ingredients and benefits all day, but you just need to know it works. So I've partnered with AG1 for so long because they make such a high quality product that I genuinely look forward to drinking every day. If you want to find out your newest healthy habit, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dax. That's drinkag1.com dax. Check it out. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. So when Ugly Betty ended, did you have sophomore musician fear? Like, did you... Did you feel this incredible pressure of like, oh, I got to choose perfectly? Yes, I had an identity crisis. Mm. I started Betty when I was 21. Like 21, oh. you're you're a child. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, In my case, know, worse, yeah. And I think I handled it to the best of my ability, and I've always been mature, but it's a very weird experience to have to grow up and find yourself in that circumstance. And so, you know, in a way, when I came out of, Ugly Betty and Ugly Betty ended, there was all this growing that I needed to do as a human being. Well, the job is so consuming. You almost push pause on your development, right? It's so totally, consuming. Totally. Yeah, that there's no time to like make mistakes and learn things. This is like so shameful, but I think vulnerability can be a, a powerful thing. And I say this just because, you know, to, to your point of like what people's perception of of success is versus what it feels like. I actually had the thought, and I think I said this out loud to my best friend when Betty ended, I was terrified that my friends wouldn't love me because yeah. I wasn't on a show. Wow. Because mm. I was, and like, that is, like, that was an actual fear that I had. That of like, course. the show was over and the people that I had made proud, like, wouldn't have a reason to love me anymore. That's when you get into fucking therapy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's when you're like, when you're like, oh, I need to figure some shit out, you know? Well, lucky for you, that was your conclusion, because so... For many actors, that's not. It's just they hop right back on the the hamster wheel and try to, you know. I, I think yeah. it's actually unique that someone goes, ooh, 
this is not a desirable outcome. I shouldn't be feeling this way and I need to figure out how to solve it internally as opposed to externally. Totally. And I was lucky enough to have some really amazing friends around me and wonderful human beings who really helped me through it and helped me see myself. And, you know, some people are lucky enough to have amazing families and amazing family members who are their rock and and help them evolve and help them feel safe and secure. And some people aren't, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, and I feel so lucky that I was able to kind of create a support system of friends and people who were so amazing and helped me really find myself in the midst of like an industry and a time that like, it's just not set up to do that for you. You know, Ugly Betty ended 10 years ago yesterday. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's been a decade, which is crazy. And it's funny because 10 years later, I'm now saying goodbye to Superstore, which was like the next thing on whatever my career path. And I had five glorious, magnificent, wonderful, fun, fulfilling, amazing years on Superstore. And I feel great about moving on. And and the difference between what it feels like to be making a choice about what I want and what I need at this point in my life and and how, how untethered and how scared and how insecure I felt 10 years ago. To me, it's like, that's the success. Like that's the win. That Yeah, that's the thing that'll make you like who you see in the mirror. Yeah, like yeah. could you imagine if 10 years later I was as scared today as I was when that ended? Like that would be the tragedy. So to me, like regardless of the success and the awards and the reviews and the how successful was that show and did, do people love it and do people still talk about it? It's like, no, my personal success is that I now know my value and I know I'm a badass and I know regardless of what ends, there will always be more for me because it's coming from inside of me and yeah. I'm not looking for other people to like validate me. For me, I'm a greedy little piggy. Is it hard to wa- walk away <laughs> from the, the steady paycheck? Of course. Especially as a kid who grew up with nothing, you know, like there's always that voice. It's like, who do you think you are walking away from money and walking away from a job? You almost feel like you're going to jinx yourself, don't you? I do sometimes. If I say no to that money, I'm going to lose everything. Totally. And, And who knows what my next, but that's that scarcity mentality that keeps us small, right? That like, it's such a double-edged sword because to go back to when Betty ended, like I stopped having a dog walker. I was like, you know, I've been making money. I've been making money for four years. I was fine. Like I could afford to like take a year off or not make any money for a year. And literally like the week after Betty ended, I fired my dog walker because there was this like the poor girl inside who would like scrounge together coins for a McDonald's cheeseburger was like, oh, hell no. Like money's not coming in. Nothing's going out. Yeah. But if that doesn't change, like if that scarcity mentality doesn't change to fit the reality, then your choices are small. To be thinking about my possibilities in the same small, terrified warranted way that I used to think about them. Like that would just be doing a disservice to all the, everything that I built for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be dishonoring it some, in yeah. some way. Now, what are you going to do next? There's a number of things, but like I said, it's like, we're in the midst of this global, you know, yeah. thing that like, nobody knows how it's going to impact the global economy, how it's going to impact our country, how it's going to impact our industry. 
So like, sure, I have plans and, and I'm on phone calls, you know, all day about those plans, but I'm also humble enough in this moment to realize like nobody knows anything. So I can say loosely that I love directing and that is definitely a a path that I want to keep pursuing as a director your brain is firing like all day, every day. And, and it's great and it's fun and it's exciting. It's very different from showing up, rolling, wearing Uggs and holding a coffee cup and being like, where do I stand? You know, it's very very different, (laughs) but so, so directing, (laughs) continuing to produce, um, executive produce, uh, uh, develops television shows with other really exciting writers and voices and continuing to act. And so all of those paths are still interesting and exciting to me. And, and like I said, yes, there are things that I'm building, but who knows what's going to happen in the next year or so. Okay. So my last question is, is Fleabag the greatest thing of the last decade? I mean, is Oh, it a- I love it. Uh, yeah. I loved it. What oh, an inspirational. Like, I w- the second season, I literally watched like in a whole, like I didn't move. I just sat down and watched all six episodes, like yeah. in one go. Yeah. It- inspirational. And like, upsetting like Daunting. doesn't it yes all- yeah my ultimate compliment i can give people is like i i start hating them halfway through so i'm <laughs> yeah. like oh i can't compete with this i don't have this level of talent in any of the departments isn't that so awful that like as an artist we're such narcissists <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just like i went from being like oh my god i love her she's so funny she's so funny i love her i'm like how old is she don't look at <laughs> she's just gonna make you mad and i'm like oh i hate her oh yeah um, that's me and donald glover I'm like, awesome. So cool. Your music's perfect. Uh, Atlanta's <laughs> one of the best shows ever and uh, wonderful. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not above petty rivalry with people who don't even know my name. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Well, America, you're so wonderful and joyful to talk to. I hope we get to do it in person one time. Yeah, totally. I was looking forward to this. I love I love the show and I've listened to so many episodes. And, and I have to say, like, I don't know that much about like your body of work. But from the outside, I just wouldn't expect you to be such like a thoughtful, soulful guy from like a really bad, not knowing you at all perspective in the world. And it was like such a pleasure to discover your podcast and be like, oh, my God, I love how deep you are and vulnerable and honest. And Monica, you make him better. Oh, much, much better. Yeah, I think the podcast answers the question for a lot of women like, oh, I now I kind of understand why Kristen's with me. <laughs> America, we love you. you. We hope to talk to you again. And good luck with this new baby. I'm excited yeah. for you to have a little Subway sandwich in your bed again. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. America. America, who was wonderful. God, what, what I liked her cookie. so much. So smart. So cookie. She's so cookie. I love cookies. You love cookies. So much. Yeah, she was great. I'm so glad we got her. It, it took it took a while. She's a busy bee. Busy, busy bee. She is. So we had to seize the pandemic, if you well, will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've gotten lucky uh, with a few folks on yes. this pandemic. Yeah. We just got off the phone with somebody that we would have normally probably never been with. Go, yeah. Farty. It's your birthday. Don't tease. <laughs> But anyway, so America was lovely, and I want to be best friends with her. I want to talk to her about all kinds of things. Yeah, she seemed like she would be in your, like, aspirational camp, people you'd like to be. Yeah, yeah, she's speaking some truths that I think need to be spoken about. 
Unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, and maybe this is a first, I had no facts. Zero facts. Zero facts. It was just like our opinions? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of introspective thoughts as opposed to facts. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't miss any. There's, I'm sure, a few that- mm, Got through the sifting screen? Yeah, probably because I was so interested in re-listening that I may have um, not That's been thinking. Fun. It is fun. I occasionally have that. Often when it's like a really dense person. Yeah. And I don't mean dense like dumb, dense like they were uh, pedantic in, in their breadth of knowledge. Yeah. That while I'm interviewing uh, them, I'm like swimming as fast as I can to keep up with them and I can't really enjoy them. And then I'll, I'll listen to them and, and I can just listen as a listener. Yeah, and like, that's nice. Oh my God, I love listening to this person talk. Yeah, when I'm editing, I'm listening very intently. Like I'm listening for ums and uh, yeah, that sounds I'm listening for. <laughs> um, so it's very rare for me to feel like, uh-oh, there were 10 minutes where I wasn't listening that You're just carefully. a fan, not an editor of exactly. the show. Yeah. That's the dream though, isn't it? Yeah. That it's may flow. have happened. So I'm sorry if I miss facts. <laughs> That's how I felt when I was directing Bradley Cooper in certain scenes in Hit and Run. I would just be watching in the monitor and I'd forget to yell cut because I'd literally just get sucked in. I thought I was watching a movie or That's something so cool. real. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to yell, cut. I think the scene's over. That's uh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So there's no facts. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, let's talk about sifting screens. I just said it got through the sifting screen. Okay. What thoughts do you have when you see on TV the way they mine for gold? Do you have any thoughts? I have thoughts on most things, and I have no thoughts on that. Okay. Well, I have to imagine it's probably the most tedious job on planet Earth because they're going through, like, millions of cubic yards of material yeah. to find like two fucking specks God. of gold. And I guess it's worth it to them, <gasps> the gold. When you just think about things that you're like predisposed to be good or bad at, well, I'm the opposite of whatever that is. Oh. I need like an immediate return and gain on any effort put forth. Interesting. I, I am the, like tedium is my kryptonite. That's funny. I was just asking someone what their kryptonite was today. Everyone has at least one piece of of kryptonite. kryptonite. Yeah, Is it in pieces? It can be. I think kryptonite is actually, well, I'm not a DC historian, but Uh my my memory of it is is he's from the planet Krypton, Uh Superman. Uh And on his planet, he didn't have superpowers. Do you know that? I didn't. I know nothing. It has something to do with our gravitational field and some other aspects that make Mr. Superman Mm -hmm. super (laughs) here. So the kryptonite is a chunk of the planet. Oh. And when they bring it around him, it neutralizes his superpowers that- Oh. I almost said the U.S. is giving him, but that the (laughs) earth, he did live in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There, there's a really interesting metaphor about that. If you think about it, I've never thought about it, but we just had this long conversation. I don't know if we retold it on here in an interview and I don't want to belabor the point, but we were talking about the potential of going to Atlanta for a live show mm-hmm. and how that would be hard for you as going to Detroit was hard for me because people I knew in childhood are there seeing me. And it just brings up all these thoughts of like, uh, authenticity or who totally, am I now? Whatever. Totally. There's a neat metaphor oh, about 100%. kryptonite. 100%. Yeah, yeah, where you came from yeah. is your downfall. Neutralizing your superpowers because yeah. I think people leave 
their home and they become a new identity yeah. from their, away from their family. And then when they go around their family, they have to reassume that identity. And sometimes there's discomfort in that. Yeah. And then likewise, they leave their town and they become something else. Yeah, I guess kryptonite is kind of like what humbles you. Really. Yeah, do you think that they knew that was the metaphor? Probably. They're smart. Who's they? The cartoon artist. That's why I don't think a cartoon <laughs> yes, artist in the be, 50s they was can like. Be smart. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Stan Lee's probably was probably quite bright. I guess it just seems deep for a comic book, but I guess what do I know about comic books? This is why comic book people love kryptonite. comic books. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anyways, what a great metaphor. Yeah, that is. I always think about the person like in high school who was like a wallflower. Mm-hmm. And then they become fancy and successful. Mm-hmm. And then when they go back to that high school reunion yep. and they have the, all these fantasies, right, where they're going to show everyone that they're this person now. Yeah. I bet the second they get around them, they feel like the old of person. Course. Of, of course. Doesn't that happen to you? I've never gone, I think I have responsibly assessed what my motivation to go to my high school reunion would be. Yeah. And I decided that wasn't a good motivation to go somewhere. Yeah. So yes, I was tempted to like parade through my high school (laughs) reunion, like, look at me, Mm. and point to every girl I liked that didn't like me and go, see, you should have liked me. And I was like, that is no reason to go somewhere. Yeah. The ego is so fucking stupid and (laughs) fragile. For my high school 10-year reunion, I literally had the thought, it was so embarrassing. Oh, I can't wait. But I had the thought, I'm not successful enough to go back yet. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. By the way, I, at my 10-year, I had the same thought. It's so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But now, I feel good in that I'm not like, oh, I can go now. Uh-huh. Like, I don't feel that. I don't feel, uh-huh. I, I feel like, oh, that was so dumb. I should have gone. I should have seen my friends and I should have said hi to all those people who I never get to see. Yeah. And what a waste. I have to imagine, I'm just going to guess at some percentages here. I have to imagine the high school reunion thing. Only like 30% are just thrilled to go there. And like they said, this great experience and they can't wait to catch up with everyone. I have to imagine the other 70% is going in there either feeling like they've underperformed or they overperformed, which is like, why even be put in a situation where you got to evaluate whether you over or under delivered? Who is big enough to go if they feel like they've underperformed? If you feel like you've just performed, great. I think you'd go and you'd be like, sure. Yeah. But if you feel like you have underperformed, that takes a really big person to still show up. And I did feel that at the time. Yes, I agree. Yeah, people like rent fancy cars to drive to reunions. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's Uh, sad. But you know what I really, I've talked about it on here, what I really did want was a junior high reunion. Yeah, you tried to you tried to make one. A yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I realized it was whatever that ninetieth year anniversary of eighth grade, seventh grade, and I was gonna. And I even went so far as to call the junior high and see how much it costs to rent the place because I wanted to have the party there. And then I just I, I didn't execute. Yeah, that's really what happened. I just ran out of momentum. Well, that's all right. And I never pulled it off. But I really would love a junior high reunion. But again. In junior high, I was among the 30% that just would love to see everyone, and I had a great time. Mm -hmm. I got nothing to prove. I just want to see everyone. Right. But I don't have that relationship with high school. See, that's what's weird and even more upsetting is there's so many people that when I go home to Georgia for Christmas that I don't see that I would love to see for an hour at this thing. Uh Like a many. And 
the fact that I let this idea of success like stop me from doing that yeah. is a big bummer. Well, in my experience too, like at the 10-year reunion, there were a handful of guys that were quick starters. So like they had left high school, they went to Michigan State. This one asshole in particular, I, I totally dislike, uh, he went down to North Carolina or South Carolina. He got some job, right, where he was like a count manager or something. And I don't know what he made, but let's say it was like 150 grand a year. And everyone in my town knew about it. He was crushing. Mm-hmm. Was like the last thing I want to do is go f- to my fucking high school and watch this guy peacock around. Yeah. Or, uh, or you could be proud of him. I'm not. And <laughs> well, guy turned out to be a piece of shit. But he was a quick starter. It looked for a minute like he was crushing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fucking captain of this sports team. And sure. now he's crushing. Oh, that's ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> not very compassionate, but okay. But yeah, I, I don't I have no compassion for this certain person. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's all my insecurities. Yeah. I will pull over and help anyone dealing with a flat tire. Yeah. I have a good track record of this. I'd blow right by him if I no. saw him changing a tire. Oh, yeah. Why? What do you no, do just to like you? What do you do to you that was so Everything bad? Everything I hated about jock popular culture. Just like a bad, toxic masculinity, fucking bully to guys, piece of shit. Yeah, and he probably had a lot of reasons for being all. There's probably a bunch of stuff underneath that caused him to be that. You're right. And now he's an adult person. You could have some compassion And now for I him. think he's reaped what he sowed. When I heard from the grapevine. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I still hold on to some grudges. People might say that about you. They most certainly do. Isn't that a bummer? Don't you wish they could be evolved enough to know that people can change and even help them do that? There are people that dislike me for a myriad of reasons. Some of them warranted, some of them not. Mm -hmm. And I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with the ones who I, I owe apologies to, for sure. But the ones who hated me because I wore ponytails and I put a, I wore headbands and I had long hair and I dressed as uh, Tinkerbell in the school play. Like, those people that hated me because I was not afraid to fuck with the gender norms and stuff, which there was a, a good deal of them. Right. I don't give a shit if those people dislike me or not. Right, right. I just mean you're evolved enough to know that people aren't who they were in high school. So... To have a little more compassion for maybe who they've grown into or who they're trying to grow into maybe would would be nice. Oh, it would be very evolved of me. I aspire to it. But the, the, the row of guys who screamed, you're a fucking faggot to me as I ran by in my Tinkerbell outfit during the um, play, I, I'm fine with those guys not liking me. I, I don't oh, need yeah. any closure with those guys. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like the opposite of everything you say all the time. Oh, yeah. I just told you I aspired to. I have no moral high ground in this. Right. I'm telling you, I'm being very trite. No. Well, you're just holding resentments, which you always say is... is well, is cancerous mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in truth, I don't ever think about... Th- I'm thinking about those guys right now because we're talking about going to a high school reunion. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. about the big group of guys who was yelling, you fucking faggot at me. And yeah. yes, I don't have any compassion for them in this moment, but I don't sure. ever think about them in bed at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Okay, but kryptonite. Yeah, uh, tedium. 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 Anything, anything tedious. <laughs> yeah, anything tedious, I'm out. Like the, the notion of sifting through 99.9999999% of something to find something. Yeah. Nothing's worth that to I was, me. Yeah, is there anything worth that? I'm trying to think. <laughs> the only thing I would d- dig through at that proportion is to get my kids. 
from somewhere. Sure. I would I would look all seven billion humans on planet Earth in the face to find my children. Of course, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel know. about tedium? Ambivalent? No, I don't like it. I do not like it either. But it just depends on what the reward is, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever had a? Have you ever like? Because I've done this a bunch of times where I've taken on projects that were much bigger than I was. Uh, anticipating yes and then you literally have to get into like a buddhist mindset where you're like one panel at a time mm. i'm gonna paint one panel at a time i'm not gonna think about all the panels that i have to paint uh -huh. like I, i've had to have that talk with myself a bazillion sure. times well i mean this circles back to what we were just talking about with list editing the show and listening to it it can be incredibly mm tedious uh, process because i will have spent 10 minutes and i've gone two minutes in the show and it's like oh my god like there is no there's no end it can start to get very like overwhelming in your head yeah so you do have to like very much compartmentalize as you say and just go like literally second to second well and you and i shared one experience which was you were in and out but you were part of a lot of it was i decided i'm gonna paint the fence around the new house yeah. Point is, is I was like, yeah, I'll paint that fucking fence. I'm not going to hire someone to paint this fence. How, right. how long could it take to paint a fence? My goodness. The fence is like, I think I figured out was like 300 and some feet long. And there's a goddamn post mm -hmm. every four inches. Oh, yeah. And there were so many moments where I was like, if I think about what a little of a dent I've made in this fence in three days. Yeah. I'll kill myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that? Of course. Uh, yeah. It's memorable. I remember it very well. <laughs> um, I think about it every time I drive by that fence. It was hard, that specific job, because it, it had a lot of layers. Like, you first... We had to go through the, every single post and clean it. Scrub it of rust. Scrape it. Scrape it. Yes. And it that in itself <sighs> was horrible. It was maddening. Then to go back and spray paint. Well, wipe it off first. He's all well, yeah, that, that's oh, yeah, part of that, the cleaning that, process, yeah, but yes. Wire bristle brush work. Yep. yep. Then paint it and then layers. I don't remember how many coats. we did. Yep. Yeah, coats. Yeah. And, and then maybe there was like a seal layer, maybe. I don't remember that part. But it was like, oh, my God. So even once you made it through once, you weren't done. Yeah. You hadn't even barely started. No. That was awful. Don't yeah. make me do that again. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you would never now. And also, I will tell you, even then, I was like, why are we doing this? Like, can't we just hire someone to do uh, this? You have the money to do that, and this yeah. is wasting all of our time. Yeah. So I, I do think, unless it's something that I feel that I must do myself or the end result will be worse, Yeah. I'm happy to, like, Oh, there's no off. way that um, we did a better job than a professional Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, so we did, a did a worse job, job. and yeah. wasted our time. Yeah. And that just goes to identity, like, my identity is someone who does a lot of the shitty work yeah. myself for the things I own. Yeah. Because my dad did none of his maintenance, I guess, is probably what's driving the whole thing. Yeah. Well, Maybe I think you also probably just have guilt about having this big house, and so you feel like you have to, like, earn it somehow or something. Sure, sure, sure. Um. <laughs> well, also, I... I do, unlike you, like I just said, I do every time I drive by the fence, I go, God damn, I painted that fence. You think about it, yeah. The attic, the fact that no one was involved, I just tore that wall out and I got, I mean, it looks like shit. There's fucking cords hanging. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just handled the whole thing. I didn't have to get anyone to do it. I get self-esteem out of that. Yeah. But for some reason, no, that stuff fills me with pride. <laughs>
Yeah, everyone has different um, pride factors, I guess. Yeah, there's something I'd turn over to someone else that you would never. Yeah, again, I think because for me, it's things that I feel the result won't be as good. Yeah, if, if you don't do it me. yourself, it won't yeah. get done well yeah. or right. Or maybe well and right, but not as good. There mm. is a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, that's, a, that's really all for America. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I wish we had sent some facts, but not really, because we had plenty to talk about. Yeah, there's what, always stuff to talk and about. in high school, Superman. and I got heated about those guys I still don't like. Yeah, it's yeah. okay that you don't like them. Yeah. I, just, I just don't want you to be holding on to something that's old for no reason. Yeah. I'm also aware of the fact that, like, I wanted a lot of attention. Uh Uh-huh. And that's the price you pay for wanting a lot of attention, and I deserve that. That's what you get. Well, you don't deserve to be called mean names, and no, no one deserves that. Right, but it's like, there's a reason people are afraid to live out loud, and this is the reason. So if you choose to live out loud, you can't act shocked that that's the result. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's not like... uh, I, I was doing nothing, keeping my head down in the sand, and then I got, you know. Yeah, I know, yeah, but yeah. but still, it's, it's not an excuse for people to treat others horribly. Yeah. It's not nice. It's not nice, you guys <laughs> who aren't listening. Be nice. <laughs> I got a hunch that the guys that were yelling the F word at me probably don't listen to this podcast. They might, though. You don't know. That's true. People change. All right, I love you. Love you. Love you. 